Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Welcome Blazers fans to the Blazer Focus Podcast brought to you by Weimar and Fred Meyer. I am Aaron Fentress on this sort of somber Wednesday mixed with different emotions because Joe Freeman, we all saw Damian Lillard put on an amazing performance, but the team lost a critical game five at Denver to fall down 3-2 with game six on Thursday. I still, Joe, do not really comprehend what I saw last night. It was so bonkers what Lillard did to try and carry this team to victory, but they fell short. Very briefly before we jump into our topics, give me your summation of what you thought while watching that game last night. I mean, it's just it's just ridiculous. And, you know, it's gotten to the point where I feel like Blazers fans aren't just expecting that kind of thing. They're waiting for that kind of thing to happen. And it, it's so surreal to think that a dude can do what he did. Um, just boom, just like that. And, and it just kind of adds to the list of incredible feats he's had. I, you know, some of those shots, you're like, no, yep, yep. And, and <laughs> when when he threw them, even the one off the glass, you, you expect them to go in. Um, just, just remarkable. And quite simply, you know, one of the best playoff performances, one of the best performances ever. I mean, statistically, uh, without comparison, 12 for 17 from deep, 55 and 10 with one turnover in 52 minutes. I mean, that's just ridiculous and and then of course the heroics on top of everything bringing the blazers back from dead twice uh the end of regulation the end of overtime and then almost a third time um did, did he have 22 points at the end of regulations like trying to final three and a half minutes or something crazy like that it's just yeah. i guess the only well not the only beef but but the the biggest takeaway is is we should be exclusively focusing on how incredible and and all time that performance was, but in the end, it's it's kind of it's wasted. You know, it's spoiled <laughs> because of the loss. It, it's it's an unjust uh, kind of you know finish for something so remarkable, yet kind of fitting. I mean, this is a this is a franchise that's been through this in the last uh, obviously well t- two decades or more, but. But in the Damian Lillard era where he does so much and takes his team and carries them on his back and yet just comes up that that short. And, and in the end, despite all that, the Blazers lost by seven. It, it's it's I don't know. It, 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 I'm at a loss for words at, at some level to, to describe both what I saw and, and then just the outcome. Yeah, definitely. Some people are comparing it to. My man, Michael Jordan, 63 against Boston in 1986 because he went off on the road. But they lost. It was multiple overtime game as well, but they lost. You know, this the, the parallels between the two performances are obvious. But before we get into the bigger picture about this, let's continue to talk a little bit about Dame because t- for me, what kind of trips me out about this a little bit is that he has such a mediocre or well, bad game four, right? And they didn't need him to play well. He's one for mm-hmm. 10 for 10 points. So he just, he only took 10 shots. Like he just said, okay, I'm not shooting well. Everyone's got it going. I'll be the distributor. 
And then in this game, he just flipped the switch and just went nuts. And so it, it, it's, it's just speaks to the randomness of the NBA where your superstar can have a bad game. You win by a bunch 20, your superstar can have an amazing game and you still lose. So I, I wonder if him doing what he did in any way suppressed the rest of the team so that they couldn't rise to the occasion in the double overtimes, or if it was just absolutely needed or they would have ended up just being routed. What do you think? I would lean towards, I think there's a combo of the two. I think you do become a little, not complacent, but you, there's a tendency to stand around and marvel at, at what you're watching. Um, you know, cause you're, and, and then expecting Dame to, to be Superman and, and do these, you know, heroic things, but also he didn't get any help. How many guys missed wide open corner threes? And then obviously CJ, who, who we'll talk about later, just stepping out of bounds, you know, missing, missing late chances. And uh, Dame has a knack and always has had uh, a, a strong suit of sensing, okay, let me stand back. Let me get my teammates involved. Let me read this game and see how it's going with, all right, it's go time. I need to step and go full throttle here to, to lift this team uh, to a win. And so I do trust his judgment in, in those situations. Um, I do see what you're saying, though, because, you know, if you're not taking a shot for 20 minutes or whatever, uh, are you supposed to deliver in that moment? And if Dame doesn't do what he did, then there's no there's no chances for his teammates to, to fail as they did, I guess. So I, I don't know. Exactly. All right. So let's dive in more into the help <clears throat> that Damian Lillard did not receive. The rest of the team, how they failed. Now, what? Was that an accidental clearing your throat, or was that designed no, no, for effect? That, 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 that was, uh, that was just natural. Okay. Well, it was well. It was well done. It worked out. <laughs> I, I appreciate that. Um, okay, I'm trying to call these stats here. So, the rest of the team actually, for the most part, through four quarters, didn't play poorly at all. Uh, Powell was five of eleven. Covington was five of seven. Three of five on threes. McCollum was the one struggling, seven of seventeen for eighteen points. But well, as nerd. a team. Nurk yeah, and I'm, Milo. I'm, I'm, I'm getting the Nurk. I'm getting the Nurk. I'm talking about the stars. My That's Nurk, foul trouble, yes. Didn't shoot particularly well at 5 or 12. But he had a double-double, 13 and 11 in regulation. So as a group, as a group collectively, you look at that, you're like, that's not that's not that bad. They were uh, 30, 29 of about 60, about 50% from the field. But in the fourth quarter, I keep, man, I've seen people say one of 19. I've seen people say one of 16. I keep getting one of 14. So I'm going to go with one of 14 uh, collectively in the two overtimes combined. Now, you just said, and we just talked about how if a players are shooting for a while and all of a sudden they're asked to take a shot, is that difficult? These are professional athletes. Like during the course of the game, they're all going to go through stretches where they don't shoot the ball. So going through a few minute stretch shouldn't cause you to clank the shots that they were clanking, especially guys like Powell, guys like CJ, who were given opportunities to hit big shots and just failed to do so. And so for me, it's either, okay, was it just a bad stretch or was there something psychological going on in that they froze up in the moment? For CJ, I don't buy that because he's been here before. He, he basically lifted them to the seven-game series win over Denver with a ton of clutch shots. Powell has been to the NBA Finals and won a title, so I don't believe it was that. I just think they just collectively just collapsed in those two overtimes, not because of anything physiological, but because they just had a bad stretch, and it's unfortunate for Portland. Yeah, and, you know, we could examine every guy on the roster and, and you know, give our critique of, of how he, he 
basically failed the failed the team and they lost but for my money it comes down to cj and nurk and really nurkic even more than cj cj rightfully took the heat he hasn't played well this entire series you look at his statistics and they're okay but um i think anybody who has eyes and can watch the series has seen that that he has not played well um any any i mean he said as much last night he he failed dame he failed the team and and Good on him for putting him on, putting that on his shoulders. Uh, my biggest issue is with Nurkic, and you know the Blazers are zero and three when he doesn't, when he fouls out, and they're two and zero when he actually plays. And um, and we'll get into Nurkic a little more, but uh, you know when you talk about Dame not getting help, those are that's two one A. You got Dame here. That's one B and one C with Nurkic and and CJ. And so arguably Nurkic is is the most important piece beyond Dame for this team because of what he does both ways. And CJ's a sidekick, and so if they're going to give what they gave, the Blazers aren't going to win, plain and simple. Um, and so, so, yeah, Norm obviously didn't play. He didn't have what he did in game four. I mean, obviously right. he was incredible in game four, so so that picked up for, for where Dame was, was absent there. Um, I thought Covington was overall exceptional in this game. He played great on both ends. He had the, the two missed dunks late uh, that cost him, but he – you know, he hit big shots. He played great defense. He, he was he was solid. They didn't get anything from, you know, Mello, really. And and uh, But, again, Nurkic. It's all Nurkic. I almost feel like we should just <laughs> – let's just pivot to Nurkic. Let's just shift I mean, to Nurkic. Well, Maybe it, we it, should. It, go ahead. You'll get, no, no, go ahead. Okay. So, before we shift to Nurkic, McCollum 7 of 22, 18 points, 2 of 8 on threes in a huge game. Clearly, that hurts them. Uh but yes, let, let's go ahead and segue to Nurkic because Nurkic ha- comes with more layers. It's not just about having a bad shooting night, which everyone has. We just talked about Lillard having a even worse shooting night than on in Game Four than McCollum had in this game. But Nurkic hurts you in, in different layers because one, you need a defensive presence in general. We, we talked about it all season how they were missing that, and two, the other team's best player, the MVP candidate, plays the same position. And so, and you don't have another player on your roster, even remotely in the same area code of a player that would be able to even disrupt Jokic. So when he goes out, it's not like, oh, we got a backup, put him in. No, you have a backup who's going to get lit up. And so much so in, in, in Cantor that you're playing Rondé Hollis Jefferson, who didn't have an NBA job two months ago. And sometimes Carmelo's going in at center. So Nurkic has to be on the court and they've been saying it the entire series we're going to play him minute for minute with Jokic that gives us the best chance to win but he ends up playing 24 minutes Jokic plays 46 which means Portland spent 22 minutes on the court with Jokic and no Nurkic and that just kills them so you say okay well were all the calls fair no some of the calls were a little bogus I thought that that fifth foul for the screen on Rivers was a little ticky-tack but still, you can't be a center wasting three fouls, which are also turnovers, offensive fouls are, at that end of the court when you're going to need to bank those on the other end. So, yes, that, that to me, I think to you, biggest key of the game by far, him being in foul trouble and him fouling out. Yeah, and a couple of the, the fourth and sixth fouls were just egregious. I mean, the sixth foul was just, I mean, what are you doing? He was, and, I and, think he was pissed because of the previous one. That's what I think. Okay, I mean, cool. Okay, and cool. I'm not excusing now, it. I'm just saying that's what I think. Yeah, happened. yeah, yeah. Well, I get pissed too, but I can't go foul him. <laughs> but like, it's, I mean, you, it's, 
Yeah, I don't even know. Nurkic is so frustrating, and and it's he hammered it's, Gordon. He hammered and him. and it you know that play is just so emblematic of of Yusuf Nurkic and the problem uh, with Yusuf Nurkic. Good Nurkic, high level Nurkic is is a difference maker and the difference for this team. I mean, what he his presence uh, inside on offense, his defense, obviously, like you broke down. I mean. It's it's gotten to the point where the Blazers isolate his minutes on Jokic. He has to be on the court when essentially when he plays. His screen setting, besides the foul that we just discussed, is 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 high level usually. He's just such a huge important presence uh, on both ends and in so many ways. But but bad Nurkic. Oh my gosh! It, it's it everything from the complaining to the flailing to the just throwing up weak shots at the rim. It just it sets an emotional and 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 physical uh you know tenor and tone for this team that when he's playing like that it it takes them down a, a notch clearly and um look it, it's it's not earth-shattering to say if if we get this Nurkic this series is over uh in in not in the Blazers favor they have to have you know Nurkic on the court and Nurkic playing uh, a solid to high level minutes as we saw during the regular season, as we've seen uh, through the years, uh, his presence is too important for, for them. You are listening to the Blazer Focus podcast. We'll be right back after a short break. He's fouled out three times in this series. No coincidence that the Blazers are 0-3 in those mm-hmm. games. Mm-hmm. And Jokic has been held to one assist twice. And both of those games, the Blazers won. He had nine assists last night. So it's, so it's not even just about preventing him from scoring. It's having someone who can disrupt him. So maybe he's not seeing the court as well or whatever causes him to maybe not distribute as well. And then the other players obviously have to play good defense against the other four players on the court. But yeah, he's 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 the engine. Like Lillard, okay, Lillard's the engine. Nurkic is the wings. I don't know, I'm trying to make a bad airplane analogy here, but so <laughs> Lillard can, can, can propel the team, but you're not going to stay in the air very long without Nurkic. Did I salvage that or not? Was that Yeah, that's good enough. Okay. And, and not, not only it, it's <laughs> it's not just what what we've just discussed, but it's the drop off from Nurkic to the next guy. And it's not that Cantor doesn't bring a lot, as we saw it in the regular season, but he can't guard Jokic. It, it's uh, wholeheartedly a mismatch. And the, so then you start throwing Melo at him, and you start throwing Rocco at him, and he they can't contain him uh, more than a time or two in the block. And so the combination of all that is just. I mean, I mean, people obviously are critiquing Terry Stotts, and, and we don't need to get into all that right now. But it's like, what's he? Who's he supposed to play when his guy is doing, you know, playing like this? What's he supposed to do? And so, whew, man, it, in, it, it almost boils down to: Are we going to get good Nurkic or bad Nurkic? In 24 minutes, he was a plus one. Nurkic was. Rondé Hollis Jefferson in nine minutes was a minus 21. And Cantor was, in 14 minutes was a minus eight. I have mixed feelings about the plus minus number. I think and we all do. We all, yeah. you know. But for this purpose, I think that's pretty glaring when those two are combined minus 29, and those are your backup go-tos. Now, some people have asked, throw Harry Giles out there. How bad could it be? Because at least he's athletic, right? He's got fouls to burn. 
just throw him out there and see what he can do. I mean, would you try it at this point? I don't see what I don't know that he has he has the bulk or 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 you know beef to be able to hang with Jokic down low. He can certainly you can't hang, but I mean, just put him out there and just see what happens. And if it's bad, pull him out and put someone else in. But at least he gives you some youth and energy and excitement. And who knows, he might make a couple plays. But at this point, it's so bad behind Nurkic that I don't see if there's anything to lose. But who knows? Yeah. you know, and you go back to game four uh, where your Nurkic was so was so good and he had so much to say about how good he was, you know, to to Kendrick Perkins and all that sort of stuff and, and, and that storyline. And, and then a day, you know, a game later, what do we see? And you're like, well, that's why people are critiquing you like that, Yusuf. Like, as, as someone who has seen a lot of Yusuf Nurkic basketball over the years and has seen him you know, evolve and become tougher and more consistent, this series notwithstanding, you know, it's frustrating because you see what he can do and you see uh, what he's, his potential and what his potential means to this team. And then just, it's just so Jekyll and Hyde and so bipolar that it it just, it's maddening. It truly is. And, And so much is living and dying with the way he plays for this team. Now on the conversely, you know, he's tasked, uh, his importance is because he's tasked with, with Garden Jokic and a byproduct uh, of him not being on the floor is that we're seeing the MVP uh, when Jokic, when Nurk, God, I keep messing up there the year. And I Nurk, do it all the time too. <laughs> yeah, um, it, it's 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 not just that, uh, you know, with, with Nurkic out that, that Jokic is scoring and, and all that, but when Nurkic is gone, it's his playmaking. And, and you know, he, he almost had a triple-double last night with the nine assists and um, the Nuggets had 33 as a team. I, I guess uh, it kind of accentuates guard play and, and bench play, but especially guard play in, in this series. Absolutely. When he is distributing the way he is, and it's not just the assists, it's all the other passes that set up assists, or maybe it's not an assist technically, but he, he, he helps someone else make a play. Uh, when he gets rolling like that, the entire team just, just is beautiful to watch. And I go back to the first preseason games when Denver just thumped the, the Blazers twice and Stotts talked about how well they move the ball and how their their defense or to their offense flows. And if you don't play really, really sound defense, you're going to be in trouble. And that all starts with their point center, basically. So he had nine assists, but the entire team had 33. And a lot of that led to their guard play, just destroying Portland. Now you and I both said coming into the series, we both picked Denver, or excuse me, picked Portland in part because they were without Jamal Murray. And at mm-hmm. this point, given what Rivers did, in game three in Portland, and given this game, Jamal, if they had Jamal Murray, the series probably be over right now, right? Or maybe Jamal Murray just is irrelevant based on how these guys are playing because they're four guards combined to go 11 of 23 for 58 points. They put up 58 points, and that's being led by Monty Morris, who had 28 off the bench, I think it was, made 10 of 11 uh, free throws. So that, the guard play, you know, is pretty much tit for tat for the Blazers guard play, even with Lillard going below, I mean, Lillard at 55, but in terms of impact on the game, all Lillard do, is doing, scoring 55, is making up for Powell and CJ, whereas Denver spreading out their points among four guys, which is more difficult to defend. So the, the combination of the guards stepping up this entire series without Murray and the depth of uh, the Nuggets being far superior to what, to what Portland's putting on the, on the court is really, really hurting the Blazers. 
Yeah, and uh, we were going to talk a little bit about the the Blazers' depth and inconsistent bench play. We might as well just weave that let's in. Let's roll it into this one. Yeah, let's just roll it right <laughs> into here. And, you know, it, it, contrast game five with game four. Morris had 12 points on five of 12 shooting. Howard, nine points, but three for 14. Uh, Compazzo had 12 points, a minus 20. You know, he was three for 10. So that speaks to the discrepancy of what a 20-point win and a, and, a, and a, you know, a double overtime loss looks like. Um, but you add in that depth. And, and Aaron Gordon, uh, you know, he was, I thought, sneaky, really. He didn't have huge numbers, but 14 and 10 with four assists was solid. And he hit a couple threes at important times. And, if it, and I think one was early. But if... If he's hitting outside shots and Michael Porter Jr. is is I mean he went ham last night uh, had a double double as well. If if they're getting those complimentary pieces where we're talking about the Blazers aren't getting the production from their complimentary pieces. If Denver is getting that from their complimentary pieces, then this is what we're gonna see. And going back to the Dame not getting help, well Jokic got a lot of help last night and. And that's kind of been the, the you know, one game, if you get the help from those pieces and you don't the next, it, you, again, game four to game five, the, the point you talk about with Denver's guards, one night you do and one night you don't, and that's kind of the difference. And um, when Denver has played well, their depth has been the difference. When the Blazers have played well, it's been their depth that's that's and their complementary pieces that have been the difference. So uh, I, I don't know. I'm not, a, I'm not the smartest guy in the world, but that seems to be a, a pretty clear indicator <laughs> how this is going to unfold no it's it's been huge when the blazers depth is not producing they're they're just in big trouble there's only so much the starters can do especially against a, a really good team like denver so you know carmelo's been up and down simons has been up and down uh you know those two were amazing in game one right i mean they mm-hmm. carried him in the first quarter when they were behind and got him to, to have a lead in the first quarter of game one and i i wrote about both of them separately other people wrote about both of them separately and then for the rest of the series they've been eh hit or miss Carmelo's had I think one good game since I don't think Simons has done much at all so if you're not getting a lot of production from your bench that puts more pressure on everyone in the, in the starting five obviously and it also limits you know uh Stotts's options just not only in the rotation but in, when guys are, are out there what what do you run for certain guys if they're unable to produce so it's an unfortunate situation that's popping up for them because they you know Cantor had a great regular season you know mm-hmm. he, he averaged a double double he had 30 rebounds just a couple months ago and now He's a, li- a complete liability, which just shows the difference between regular season basketball and, and playoff basketball. So I don't know how they overcome that beyond this series if they survive it. But to me, that's been a huge red flag since since game two. All right, so let's move on now because life life goes on. You know, Lillard last night was asked about his big game. And immediately said, it doesn't matter. We lost. Um, he was also asked, how do you get over this, you know, emotional letdown? He was clearly frustrated about a lot of different things. Um, especially, you know, the, the foul calls, some of the foul calls on Nurkic. He knows how important Nurkic is. But he said, hey, I'm a grown man. I've lost games before. If I, you know, I obviously have to be able to turn the page. Um, and, and they will turn the page. Obviously, they have to for game six. I sort of look at game six as like almost a foregone conclusion that they're going to win based on how this series has gone. Like, I, I can't even conceive them losing this game. I do not think they're going to play poorly at all. I think Denver will come in with that almost it's, – it's, it's weird in the NBA when you have two evenly matched teams where a team gets a big win like this to go up three, two, and they have to go on the road, their, 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 their elevation of intensity is just going to, it's just going to decline. It's just, it's almost 90% guaranteed based on history that that's going to happen, whereas Portland's going to rev up. So I think they're going to win game six. What happens game seven is going to be a, a coin toss. Now you have been here before with this team. We go back to 2019. 
they were down 3-2, came home and won game six, if I remember correctly, and then went back and won game seven. So how do you feel this team will respond to this devastating loss and perform the rest of the series? Well, it's interesting going back to that 2019 series. After the Blazers won that triple overtime thriller, I mentally was like, well, Denver's spent. You know, this is their first foray into the playoffs at this level in a while. And, uh, you know, they're a younger team. And, man, they responded emphatically and impressively. Um, And and the way to do that, and and the biggest issue, I think, for the Blazers today going into tomorrow is – First and foremost, you have to get over game five. Like they have to, it was such an emotional crusher. And and you talked about, you know, Dame's sort of deflated uh, mentality after that game. Again, everything he did ended up in a loss. So it's kind of a wasted, you know, uh, monumental performance, such a heartbreaker in general. And so draining, you know, both, both emotionally and physically, Dame, CJ, Powell all played 50 more than 50 minutes so physically tiring emotionally tiring to the highs and lows of the end of that game to lose that game uh in that fashion to know that statistically more than 80 percent of teams that lose game five in a 2-2 series go on to lose the series is is you know the statistics are against you um and so you know that said it is a team that has been here before as we've talked about they're there's playoff experience up and down the roster. I do expect them to respond uh, impressively in game six, but it's going to come down to the, all the stuff we've talked about. Dame needs help. We, we need CJ to show up. Okay. We, we need him to be the guy uh, that he has been in big moments. And, you know, to CJ's credit, historically in the playoffs, I mean, he had his coming out party in a, in a loss at Memphis back in the day where, where the coach, you know, proclaimed we have a CJ McCollum problem. And since then <laughs> he's been pretty solid in playoffs, if quietly and sometimes uh, loudly, like, like in game seven against Denver in two years ago. So the Blazers need that. And obviously they need good Nurk. If they don't get good Nurk, then, then it's the series is over. And, uh, you know, it's easy to get lost uh, in what we saw in overtime and double overtime and, and, and just the end of regulation. It was such an incredible comeback and in, in, in individual performance. But, you know, you flash back to those first 12 to 18, 20 minutes, that cost the Blazers in the end. Th- their start cost them. They came out, whatever you want to call it, Lafarge. They were down 14 1. <laughs> right, right. And and it wasn't just that they went 0 for 7 or whatever they did to start. It's their defense was bad. And it was right. bad for long stretch. It was like, you know, 15 or more minutes to begin the game. They can't have that long of bad defensive stretches and expect to win. And so um, I think that there's still a lot of hope for this team if they can get past the emotional, you know, toll that game five t- took out of them. And, and if they get CJ back, and if they get good Nurkic back. I'm going to give them this. I think this is more than the benefit of the doubt. I really truly believe this is going to happen. I, I think they're going to come out like rabid dogs on Thursday, defensively and offensively, blow the doors off of this Denver team. And, you know, well, I'm, I'm just sitting here and say they might have a 20 point lead in the second quarter. Well, they were down 22 in the second quarter of this game and still came back and almost won it. So, of course, in the NBA, leads can disappear like that, which is pretty fascinating. Uh, but I think they're going to come out just at a different level, especially defensively. And I, like I said, I think Denver is going to be at that natural decline in intensity and Portland's going to win 
win game six and we're going to go back to Denver. Um, I do think they'll get over the emotional disappointment of this because there are enough guys on this team who've played in big games and, and dealt with stuff like this before in Carmelo. And we mentioned Powell and CJ and Dame, obviously. Uh, so I think they're going to be okay in game six. The question is, can they bring it in game seven and not, like you said, have that stretch where, I mean, they were down 22. The game, you know, you're down 22 on the road in the playoffs. You shouldn't win that game. I don't know what the stats are on that, but I don't think many teams have come back from being down that big in the second quarter of a playoff game on the road and won. So they can't afford to ever start a game like that again or their season is going to be over. And one more point I want to make too is to me, if they lose this series, what would magnify the disappointment even more is if the Suns beat the Lakers. They're up 3-2 now. Anthony Davis is hurt. If you could have come out of the first round and play the Suns, as opposed to playing a healthy Laker team, I believe they could beat the Suns. So to me, there was a clear path to the West Finals. That would compound the disappointment of losing this series in my book. So you got them winning game six. Should they be concerned? Because your predictive skills have not been very reliable. Okay, okay hold on. Hold on hold Should they hold be hold concerned? Hold Should they be worried? Yes, they should. <laughs> <laughs> as a matter of fact, for the sake of Blazer Nation... I'm going to go ahead and say Denver is going to trounce the Blazers on Thursday. It's going to be a massacre at the Garden. Excuse me. It's not the Garden anymore. At Moda Center uh, there. Okay. I, I've, just, I've just secured the win for the Blazers. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I would be surprised if they lost game six. I mean, I, I'm already wrong. I had the Blazers winning in six, and so that's obviously not going to happen. Um, but like I said, it, it's getting over that emotional um, – toll to start with and then i i don't want to keep harping on nurkic but it is he's the single biggest of course yeah it's like as we've talked you about have to harp on it it's it's and it's just so it reminds me going back to before maybe the year before he got hurt it's just like you see this guy with his teaming with so much potential and and he can be such a force um and just just to see him disappear and 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 talk about emotions He's got a, he's got a, that's one of the things holding him back is just his inability to curtail his emotions or to channel his emotions. And, and I know some people struggle with that in general and, and there's only so much you could do, but. Yeah, but let's go back to the Kendrick Perkins thing. Like Kendrick Perkins's tweet calling Nurkic and Cantor the worst defensive centers in basketball was ridiculous. Cantor might be, but Nurkic clearly isn't. And I, you know, I tweeted out how I think his defensive war on, on, on 538 is seventh best in the league. So, I mean, that's just a ridiculous assessment by Perkins. At the same time, I feel like Nurkic has to just be the bigger man and, and not like, – he might say, I think that was unfair, but to call Perkins a mascot, he would be a mascot today. It's like Perkins has a championship ring, man. Like, say what you want about him, whether it was great or not great. He has a ring. And then for Nurkic to call out Perkins in retaliation and then come out and play the way he did in this game – it's just not a good look. Like you can't call another man a, a would-be mascot and then you go out and play like you did in this game when you know it's critical to have you on the floor and, and foul out. So like sometimes players just have to push that, that noise out and just remain focused on the task at hand. Yeah, who cares what Kendrick Perkins says? What, what, he gets paid to say outlandish things and he says right. outlandish things. So, but who cares? He has no bearing or no impact on, on on what you do and how you perform. And if he does, then there's a larger issue at hand. You should not be 
motivated or unmotivated or whatever based upon what Kendrick Perkins says. You should be more concerned about what Damian Lillard says and that CJ right. needs you and that your team needs you to step up and perform at a consistent level. So again, <laughs> maddening, maddening. And, you know, I, I, I can only imagine, well, I can, I actually see it and hear from it. So I know exactly how Blazers fans are feeling, but it must just be so frustrating to know uh, what this team can be uh, with just a just a little thing like that or just a critical you know right there and it's um you know it the the good news for blazers fans is it's not over yet but the bad news is do you have uh, confidence that we're going to get good nurkic moving forward and especially are we going to get good nurkic two games in a row because that's going to be the difference right there right 100% 100% agree all right you got anything else? Any words of wisdom for the fans? Go enjoy the beautiful sun, man. You know, I know. you guys, you guys need to get over the emotional toll of that loss Ooh. too. As I, I ended up watching, uh, you know, my, my basketball games back because we're all vaccinated in a two weeks pass and stuff, which has been both uh, wonderful and awful because uh, my body has never felt closer to old man than it than it feels right now. <laughs> but. Uh, uh, basketball nick brought a projector and and uh put it up on the screen last night so while we were playing we the game was on and then by the time our game was over we were able to watch most of the fourth quarter in both of the overtimes and at one point you know he said we we don't deserve him talking about dame and i was like dude you guys lived through odin you lived through jordan you lived through b-roy like you deserve dame you first and foremost but i think that just speaks to kind of the emotional you know, toll this this fan base has right now. So get out there, enjoy the sun, enjoy a day off, and then you know get back to it. Uh, get back to it on Thursday. Yeah, just real quickly on some of that. Some of the stuff people say, Dame should leave. It, like he, this franchise is horrible to him, and it's wasting him, and all this kind of stuff. It's like, geez, this is sports, man. Like you're gonna have ups and downs. I think they've had a great eight-year run, given that they're a small market. Should Dame leave to chase a championship? We'll see. We'll see what happens in three or four years. But the, just the way of emotion fans taking things like this is just astounding to me. Um, and blaming, you know, people were all over CJ, forgetting the fact that CJ was the reason why they beat Denver two years ago. He just was. Like, he, the best player that they had in that series, best player in game seven, obviously. So you see people turning on him. So, yes, people need to relax. Take a deep breath, enjoy the sun, have some fun, realize it's just a game, everything's going to be okay, and look forward to game six. Nobody wants to hear that, Aaron. <laughs> I know, no. It's, no it's, easy for, it's easy for the objective guy to say that, right? Because had yeah. that been the Bulls and Zach Levine scored 55, I'd be like, oh, my God. But Yeah, yeah, yeah you know what? Yeah, how, how, What are you saying out there about the Bulls and, and, and the uh, the Bears, I mean, I just he, see an incessant rambling nonsense out of you, and now you're telling Blazers fans to be calm? It's not rambling. What is nonsense? going on? Very, look, my nonsense is very coherent. Don't ever call rambling. I take offense to that. <laughs> it's very well thought okay. out nonsense. Uh, is it? <laughs> it is. Trust it's me. It's well thought out. There's no emotion it's, at all in it's there. It's my role to be the therapist. in this. In this. I, I was a psych minor, so it's my role to add some objectivity to this help people move forward gracefully and with class see i do things the uh the appropriate way which is when florida state is losing a football game i scream and curse at the television i don't go mm. on social media and blast the actual players or see? management or coaching 
I think that's the appropriate way to handle it. Yeah, hundred percent. Exactly. Now there may be some some group text threads in which some (laughs) private thoughts are shared about certain things, but never in a public forum. Never publicly. Never publicly. Right. All right, cool. All right, that is this. That is it, excuse me, for this uh, episode of the Blazer Focus Podcast brought to you by Bymart and Fred Meyer. I am Aaron Fentress along with Joe Freeman, and we will see you again soon. Hopefully, and I'm hey, I'm I'm objective, I'm unbiased, but I want I mean I want to keep covering this team. It's been a fun season, so I hope they win the series so we can cover in another series in the second round and talk about that. We shall see.